live stream. Okay, so if you've got a study guide, uh, you will need a, a pen, pencil, something like that. We're going to go through it. Now, we're in the middle of a series. We're actually on lesson six of a series called The Thread. This one's called The Fallen Kingdom. Okay, so the thread of Scripture, and, and Lydia made these for us. Some of you have them on. What the thread represents is that everywhere in Scripture, every story in the Bible, no matter where it is, it has a main theme, it has a main idea behind it, and the main thread of Scripture is Jesus Christ. Okay, and that every story, every main story from the Bible can point to Jesus. Now, what we don't want to do, we never want to turn the Bible into like a Holy Spirit, Where's Waldo? Do y'all know where Where's Waldo is? Y'all remember those old books? Okay, so in Where's Waldo, you would look through the book, you'd try and find the character of Waldo. That's not how you take the Bible. You don't take the Bible, you don't look for it like for Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? That's not the way it is, okay? But understand every major theme and every main story in the Bible does connect to Jesus. And it's called in, uh, by a lot of preachers, uh, through books, through uh, theologians, it's known as the scarlet thread. So that's where we got the idea of the thread from the garden to Calvary. All right. And so the first point on there, and this is going to be the first point every week, is this. All of scripture is pointing us to Jesus. All of Scripture points us to Him. There's not a single story in the Bible that doesn't direct our attention to Him. Now, when they were living through those stories, when they were living through those things, they didn't get it. They might not have understood it. They might not have seen how it points to Jesus. But now that we have what Jesus did, how He came, we can look back and we're like, Oh my goodness, there is Jesus. Goodness. So all of Scripture is pointing us to Jesus. That's the first point. All right, now this week and next week, we're going to be in the book of Daniel, okay? So if you don't have a Bible, we've got several of them over there that you can grab. We're going to be in the book of Daniel. That's in the Old Testament. Uh, and so you're going to want to open up there. We're going to be in that in the book of Daniel this week and next week, okay? Cards on the table, I wanted to, at first, just jump into uh, Daniel chapter 3. And uh, I wanted to, to look there and, and see the scarlet thread from just Daniel chapter 3, and then I wanted to move on after one week. But as I got to studying and looking at it, I thought, man, we've got to cover Daniel chapter 1 and 2. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Tonight our scope is Daniel chapters 1 and 2. Next week, we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 3. Okay, so in order for you to understand Daniel 3, which we're going to be in next week, in order for you to understand where we are right now in this story of Daniel, on the back of your study guides, you're going to see a graph. Do you guys see that there? I've got, um, I've got it right here, and it'll also show up on the screen. Uh, and this is a Bible timeline. Okay, now in this Bible timeline... It kind of breaks down how the Bible is laid out, okay? So you've got creation. Everyone knows the story of creation, right? In the Garden of Eden, you've got everything's good, all right? You've got the patriarch, which is Abraham. You start seeing that, that sin is in the world, but God has miraculously chosen people to be his. You've got the patriarch. You've got Exodus, which is what we covered last week and the week before when you have the Israelites are slaves in Egypt and they're under bondage by Pharaoh. You've got the conquest, which is them moving into this promised land. You've got the judges. And all of this time, who has been leading them? Who has been leading the Israelites during all this time? Creation. Patriarch, Exodus, Conquest, Judges. Who's been the leader? God. God has been the leader. When you get to the kingdom, you come to a very odd place in the history of Israel. They sit there and they say, we're not really happy with having God as our Lord because we can't see him. We want a king like everybody else. And so they try and put their own king in place, Saul, and... Uh, 
He does not pan out very well. So God puts a king on the throne, King David. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, puts king, uh, king David on there. And they go through this miraculous time of, of God leading the Israelites, of God directing them. David is the most spiritually blessed king of all time. His son Solomon comes along. Now, our story in Daniel is at that blue suitcase, the exile. Because David was a good king, Solomon was a good king, but all of the kings after that really start to go downhill. Now, every once in a while you have a king that comes up and, and he's a good king. But for the most part, you've got this downward spiral of the kingdom until the people of Israel, God's chosen people, have nothing for God. They want nothing to do with Him. And in March of 597, Babylon comes into Israel and they conquer Israel. They take over. And now all of God's chosen people are being forced out of their kingdom out of their land, and they're being taken into the Babylonian Empire. Have you all ever heard of the Babylonian Empire? Yeah? So that's where we're at in Daniel. Now, another bit of history here, okay? Daniel is a young man, all right? Daniel's about 14 or 15 when this goes on. So not much younger than some of you, not much older than some of you, He's about 14 or 15. So imagine he has been taken from his home. He's been taken from his family. And he's being taken to this Babylonian kingdom. That's where we set ourselves in. It's this awful, depressing state. God's chosen people are slaves once again. Let me read to you Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And it's going to explain what's going on. By the way, during the course of this, y'all are going to need to be able to flip your Bibles around. I need people to read for me, okay? So those scriptures will come up on the screen. So just be ready to read as we come to those. But let me read Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank they were to be educated for three years. They were to, uh, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Let me pray to us, and we're going to jump into it, okay? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. I ask that you would be especially good during the hearing of this lesson, because it meets us where we are in our time today. It meets us where we are in our culture today. It meets these students right in their lives. And Father, they might not see it right now, but God, I pray you'd grant clarity 
through your word, that you'd use me to speak your truths, and that, Father, these students would recognize a tremendous call that they have on their life. It's your son's name, Jesus. I ask these things and for his sake. Amen. Okay, so we've got this is happening right here and now, okay? They've been captured, they've been kidnapped, they've been taken from their homes in Judah to Shinar. And why, did, why were they selected? Tell me, why were uh, Daniel and why were Hananiah and why were Mishael and Azariah selected? What was the requirement there? Verse 4 of Daniel 1. Yeah, they're without blemish, they're young, they're skillful in wisdom, they have knowledge and understanding, they're going to look good to stand in the palace. So they are picked because they stand out. They're picked because they look good, all right? That's a weird thing to go through. Why would you go and conquer a land... And then grab the young and smart and kind of beautiful people, beautiful people of that land, and take them with you. Why would you grab those people? It's actually very heinous. They've gone in there and they have besieged the Israelites. Judah is being dismantled right now. And they want to keep that land. But here's the thing. If you want to take over someone's land, you can't just go in there and send soldiers in there and have the soldiers yell at people day in and day out and say, now obey us. What's going to happen if you just send soldiers in there and that's your only plan? Eventually, people are going to what? Rebel. They're going to do it. If someone came into America right now, if a military came in here, swooped down, and let's say they besieged us, let's say they conquered us, and all their plan was was just to have a military force just on top of us 24-7, we're going to rise up against it. We're going to rebel against it. So this is a brilliant tactic by King Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what he's done. He's gone... And he's grabbed the best and the brightest young men from them. And he's bringing them into his kingdom. And for three years, he's going to train them. For three years, he's going to have them enjoy all of the lifestyle that comes with living in the palace. He's going to teach them all of their things. He's going to give them a new name, a name that sounds official, a name that sounds good. He's going to bring them in there and he's going to get the best and the brightest on his side. And then he's going to send them back in there. And all of a sudden, these Israelites who have been taken from their homes and who would naturally be leaders of rebellion against the Babylonian Empire, all of a sudden, hey, we, we like the Babylonian Empire. You should see the way they treated us. And all of a sudden, they're going to lead them to being more and more subdued by the Babylonian Empire. Do you guys get that? So in order to do this, they go and get them and they bring them in. And in the middle of them bringing them in, we have... Our next point, Daniel and his three buddies are faced with an ugly compromise, an ugly one. Now, George Washington made this statement. He said, few men have the virtue to withstand the highest bidder. What he means by that is everybody has their price. Y'all ever heard that statement before? Everybody has their price? Yeah. What does it mean if I say everyone has their price? What do y'all think that means? Yeah, everyone has something that they want and they would be willing to do what you want if you give it to them, right? So, says George Washington said, few men have the virtue to withstand the highest bidder. 
And what he meant by that at the time is he was in the middle of an American Revolution. The crown, the British crown, they were coming over there and they were looking at George Washington, they were looking at some of the leaders, and they were trying to buy them off. Trying to say, nah, you don't want to revolt, you don't want to be a part of this revolution, you want to be on our team, we're going to buy you off. And they would offer them everything that they thought they would want. A few men, like George Washington, like Samuel Adams, a couple of those guys, they had, they had the ability to say no. To stand up to it. So what's the ugly compromise that they're going in? When they pull in Daniel and his friends and all the others that they pulled in, it's not just those four, but those are the four that are highlighted first. When they pull them in, they've got this threefold strategy. They've got a threefold strategy, and here's what it is. They're going to come in, bring them in, and you've already seen they give them new names. Now, the names that we hear that they give them sound strange to our ears because we're Americans. But it was a very regal and a very appropriate and good sign. They gave them new names. You know who you're going to be? You're going to be Belteshazzar. You are going to be important. You are going to be a big deal. Forget about being Daniel. Man, you've got, you've got greatness stamped on you, Belteshazzar. They come in there, and all of a sudden, you see that Daniel and the guys, okay, we'll take that. We can handle that. There was nothing wrong with them receiving that new name. The next thing they're going to do is they're going to train them. They're going to educate them. They're going to bring them in. They're going to say, you're smart. We can make you smarter. We have the greatest mathematicians in the world here in the Babylonian Empire. We've got the best scientists in the world here. We're going to train you up. You're already smart. You're already wise. We're going to make you better. We're going to make you so much better. Again, Daniel and his buddies, they don't have a problem with that. Okay. But then they come to verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. All of a sudden he comes up to a spot where they say, we're not going there. So why is it there? Why is that the thing? that they said no to. They received the name. Okay, we'll, we'll have the name. After all, we don't know the next story. It's not told about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. It's told about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were their new names. They didn't refuse the names. They didn't refuse the education. Why is it there that they draw a line and say, no, 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 we're not going to eat the king's food? We're not going to drink the king's wine. Why do you think that is? Because that was a price. That was a price that they were throwing at. They had never seen any food like that before. Never seen any party like a king's party. And they were going to pull them in and they were going to say, you get to eat all of the food from the palace. And it wasn't just a food thing, even though there was a food thing, and we're going to look at it. It wasn't just a food thing, but it was a lifestyle thing. You see, if you ate the king's food at the king's table, you had all the other stuff that was associated with the king's party. You had drunkenness. You had entertainment. Not good entertainment. You had, there's some debate about what kind of substances they had back there, but there were some, they believe, incenses and stuff like that that would take you to a place you didn't need to be. There was company that you didn't need to enjoy while you're there. And all of a sudden, it's not just about the food. You see, they were willing to receive a new name. They were willing to receive a new education. But when it came to saying, now you need to just change your lifestyle. Just come in here and do this. That's where they draw the line in the sand. They say, no, 
we don't do that. We don't change our lifestyle. There is something greater in what we, knew, in what we do and in what we know. Our lifestyle will not change. Now there is a bit, so it says that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine. And it was the party aspect of it. But there's also something else that's going on there, okay? He's talking about the, specifically the food and the wine. There's a couple of verses I want you to look up, okay? So he throws up, I need Genesis 9, 3 through 5, Leviticus 17, 13 through 14. Who wants Genesis? Who wants to read that one? Logan, you're up. Go to Genesis 9, 3 through 5. Who wants Leviticus 17? Who wants that one? Someone other than Kayla, thank you very much. All right. So he says, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's food. What was wrong with the king's food? They did do things differently. Here's some of the stuff that was going on. At the time, uh, the Babylonian Empire, they believed in other gods, not one God, the God of the Bible. They believed in other gods. And what they would do to not tick the gods off, they would go and they would offer sacrifices to the fake gods and then they would take those sacrifices and they'd say now that we've sacrificed now we can fix that and we can eat that so there was a sense that daniel's like no 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 we're we're not getting mixed up with idols in any way shape form or fashion that's not us but not only that god had given some very strict laws in the diet of the israelites all right, so read Genesis 9, 3 through 5 for me. This is right after Noah uh, got off the ark. Okay. You can have every beast of the field to eat. You can have all those beasts to eat. But you cannot eat anything with its life's blood in it. What does that mean? Go ahead and read Leviticus 17, 13 through 14. Okay, here's what's going on there. God said, don't eat anything with blood in it. And you sit there and like, well, fine, that's easy, all right? But think of it in this way. How many of y'all have ever had a steak before? How many of y'all eat that steak well done? Whew, you ruin it. How many of you eat it uh, medium? What's the difference? How do y'all eat it? Medium well? Really? You're ruining it. Bloody. Bloody. Rare? Medium rare? Medium? Medium well? Well done? What's the difference between a well done steak and a medium steak? The, the, there is, there's a lot of difference, but when you cut it open, what do you see when you cut open a medium steak? It's pink. Why is it pink? Because not all the blood has been cooked out of it yet. When you, open, when you cut open a well-done steak, it's all brown, right? Right? Because all of it has been burned off. They were to eat their food, well done, they were to do that. And here's the reason why, because it says the blood is the life force of creation. And back then there were some interesting things that you just, we, we don't have time to go into all of it right now, but understand if you touched a dead thing, all right, a dead thing that was unclean, like if, if you walked up, if, like you know how if you go to a funeral now, and you go and you see, um, if you go to a viewing, and you, you go to the casket, and you've got someone that, that is there who's passed away. Have you ever seen someone place their hand 
in theirs or anything like that, okay? That would have been absolutely wrong back then. You're touching something that's unclean. You're touching something that is dead and it still has its life force in it. It is wrong that there is a life force in there, but there is no life in there. Does that make sense? Don't touch it. Don't have anything to do with it. Now, do we still live under that now? No, I love a medium stake. Why do we not live under that? Because Jesus Christ himself has already died a death and lived after dying that death. We no longer have to fear a death that still has its life force in it because Jesus Christ himself died and came back to life. It's fulfilled in Jesus. We don't have that restriction anymore. Okay? But then they were still under it. And so Daniel walks up and says, no, we will not be a part of this lifestyle change. We're not going to adjust our lifestyle. We're not going to defile a law that God's given us. That's a line in the sand we're not going to cross. Give us a new name, sure. Educate us, sure. We're not going to alter the life that God has for us to do what you say. You guys see the stakes that are up there. You guys see... You guys see the compromise they're asking them to make. It's not just a name. It's not just an education. For them, if you go and you eat at his table, then you're joining in his lifestyle. And guys, this is a big deal. And here's why it's a big deal. Daniel, this is the next point, shows us an unashamed faith. Like I said, he was only about 14 or 15 at the time. Let me read to you what he does. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So that the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for the four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So this is what happens. They say, no, 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 we're not changing the lifestyle. We're going to follow after God. And immediately they got opposition for it. Immediately they got blowback for it. Now here's where the rubber meets the road for you guys, okay? Every single day this upcoming school year, when you go back to class or even maybe while you're starting online or whatever it looks like, Every single day, you're going to be asked to compromise in your walk with Christ. I can tell you that from experience. Every single day that I walked the halls of my high school, I was asked to compromise in my walk with Christ. Every single day without fail. And I looked different every day. On the bus that I drove, uh, not so much the one that I have now, but on the one I drove a few years ago, I was asked to compromise in my faith every single day. Those kids would be over there and they would be doing the worst things you can imagine a third through fifth grader doing. And they would just ask me, just, just look the other way. Every single day. Daniel was asked 
Just look the other way, man. Just look, just eat the food. Just look the other way. Just do it. What's really going to harm you? Your parents aren't around. They weren't. He had been stolen from his family. Your God isn't here. We worship this God. What's the big deal? Why worry about that? Daniel was being asked to be ashamed of his faith. Daniel was willing to stand up for it. We've got some verses to help us see that this is not the only place in Scripture this comes up. But it's 2 Timothy 2.15. Who's got that one? Who's got that one? 2 Timothy 2.15. It's one verse. Logan, go for it. Philippians 1.18-20. Who's got that one? You got it, Kaylee? All right. Romans 1.16. Who's got that? You got Amelia? All right. All right. Understand At this point, it's not about food, it's not about wine, it's not about an education, it's not about a name, it's about his faith. And he's being asked, be ashamed of your faith, just turn the other way, just look in the other direction, just eat the food, it's really no big deal, it's okay to compromise in this one little area, it's okay to do that. But Daniel is looking at the options and he's saying, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand up. And we're told that in other places in Scripture. 2 Timothy 2.15, will you read that for us? Be unashamed, a worker who is not ashamed, rightly understanding the word of truth. Boldly know your Bible so that when people go up to you, when they say things, you know the biblical answer. Philippians 1, 18-20, who's got that one? Okay. Whether by life I face or death I face, his prayer, Paul's prayer there, is that he's not going to be ashamed of this God who has called him into life. He's not going to be ashamed of this Jesus, no matter where it takes him. In Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Daniel's looking at the options and he says, look, I've got a compromised lifestyle that proves I'm I'm ashamed of my God or I take my stand right now and whether I live or I die, I show I'm not ashamed of my faith. You heard the verses read. Daniel stands up and he says, no. And here's how it might look for you. Here's a big one that comes up. uh, Not as much maybe for y'all. Well, the landscape might have changed in, 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 in schools, but it's come out a lot in the work circles where I've been. But do you really believe in God? A big deal right now is to sit there and say like, you know, I'd, I stopped believing in God when I stopped believing in, you know, fairies and Peter Pan and all those kinds of things. It's just a fairy tale. Do you really believe in God? All of a sudden, you start to feel that sense of of being ashamed. Here's another one. You ready for this one? You cannot judge me. How many of y'all hear that? Yeah. I've heard that one before. You can't judge me. Don't bring that Jesus stuff at me. You can't judge me. Or this one. Listen, you just need to learn to have fun. Just, you need to learn how to relax. You just need to learn how to, how to enjoy yourself. I'm going to make this statement. If, 
you hear that, if you're taking a stand because of a conviction you have with your faith, if you're taking a stand and someone says, look, you just need to learn how to have fun, what they're really saying is, you need to learn how to enjoy sin better. That's actually what they're saying. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to get you to have fun while you're sinning. Listen, I, I, I'll be honest with you. Sin is fun enough for the mind who doesn't know Christ. We, we understand that sin may be fun in the moment, but it is certainly not fun in eternity. This is a big one. Guys, listen, it's only once. It's only once. Just, just do it this one time, and we won't ask you anymore, but we just want you to try it. Just do it once. Or here's another really good one. Not a really good one. These are all evil in the way they're brought up. But this is a big one. They'll say, no, it, it's okay. It's okay to do this because I love you. It's okay that we do this. I love you, so what we're doing is okay. If it goes against the Scripture and if it goes against the faith, understand there's no compromise you can make that's okay. Understand they are asking you to back down. Be ashamed of what you say you believe. Just step aside and let this sin happen. And they'll do it because they say they love you or because you're judging them or because they know more or whatever it is. But they're asking you to be ashamed. But God had given those laws for a reason. The dietary laws were there for a reason. They were there ultimately so that God's chosen people lived differently. They didn't look and act the same way as the world. They didn't engage in that kind of a lifestyle like the rest of the world did. They didn't get mixed up in it. That's ultimately why they were there. But they were also there as a secondary issue because God, the one who created everything you'll ever put in your mouth, he kind of knew what was best for you to eat. And he knew what was best to put in your body. And if after, listen, this is only after 10 days, Daniel says, listen, let us eat just vegetables. Just let us do vegetables and water just for 10 days. And then, and then let's, let's judge to see who's healthier. Ten days out of three years. And at the end of it, Daniel, his buddies, looked a lot better. How hard does that tell you that the rest of the people partied for those ten days? How nasty did they get for those ten days? It wasn't just about the food. After ten days, I don't care what you eat. You're not going to look that much different unless you're adding to your life things that shouldn't be there. It's not just about food. After 10 days, Daniel proves that he was unashamed of his faith. He was in the right call. So what? God does give favor, and this is where the story shifts a little bit. Because God gives favor, because Daniel stood up and because he said, I'm not ashamed of my faith, I'll go with the name, sure, I'll be educated in this area, sure, but I'm not changing my lifestyle, I'm going to stand firm in my faith, I'm going to stand up for what I know to be God's call. All of a sudden, the king looks at him and he says, whoa, you look a whole lot better, Daniel. You look a lot, a lot more healthy. Let's, let's, let's make everyone do what these guys are doing. And things shift. They see the wisdom of it. And at the time of their three years of training, when it's over, 
Daniel, or if we use their Babylonian names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all of a sudden, they're kind of the new up-and-comers. They are the leaders of the leaders. They look better. They are smarter. And Daniel has been favored by God in a different way. He can hear dreams and he can interpret them. See, dreams were a big deal back then. So this is what happens. I've got to hurry. Uncertain times come up. That's the next one. Uncertain times come up. Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Notice the plurality there. Had dreams, plural. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Kind of the uh, long live the king. Tell your servants the dream. And we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Literally, it says your, the, the Greek, or the, it's technically Aramaic, but what they say there is your houses are going to be dung heaps. All right? But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So what's going on here? So what happens here is King Nebuchadnezzar, he sees all that's going on, his plans going accordingly. He's got these young guys who are, who are really up-and-comers, and he's going to send them back into Israel, and he thinks everything's going well. He thinks his, his conquering of Israel is going to be great. We're good. We're doing good. I am the greatest king in the world today. And it was true. But Nebuchadnezzar obviously knew a little bit of history. He's sitting around thinking, I wonder what the Assyrians thought when they were the greatest empire. And the Assyrians have gone down since then. I wonder what the Egyptians thought when they were the greatest empire. Yeah, the Israelites kind of whooped up on them. I wonder what... Israel thought when they were the world power. They're not the world power anymore. I've conquered them. And even now, Judah's being dismantled. I wonder what went through their heads. Did they ever think that they were the greatest of all time like I think now? And that led to a night or several nights where he's having dreams. Bad dreams. Dreams. How many of y'all, how many of y'all ever remember your dreams? Sometimes you do, sometimes... How many of you have ever had one where you, where you wake up and you're like, I remember I dreamed, but I don't remember what my dream was. Have you all ever had that? All right. That's what's happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He woke up from these dreams. He's having dreams, but he doesn't remember them. But he remembers the terror from those dreams. He remembers that they were terrifying and that he was scared out of his mind, but he doesn't remember the dreams themselves. And he tells them that. He calls him in there, and he's, he's, he's shaking, he's upset. And this must have been one doozy of a dream because it's made him so, so upset that he's called all these people around, hey, hey, tell me what's going on, tell me what's going on. And because of this uncertainty in him, it causes an uncertainty in the entire kingdom. He calls him up there, and he says, hey, you guys got to help me with this whole dream thing, okay? Tell me what's going on with these dreams that, that's ha that I've had. And they, hey, just, just tell us the dream. Just let us know the dream, and, and we'll tell you what it means. For the sake of time, uh, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to roll through it. Just tell us the dream, and we'll, we'll let you know what it means. They even make a big boast. They say, listen, because we know all wisdom concerning dreams, just tell us the dream, and we'll let you know what it means. And he's like, no, no, no. My word is firm on this one, guys. You've got to tell me the dream, and then you need to tell me the interpretation. 
I don't remember the dream. You've got to tell me the dream and then tell me what it means. And they're like, uh, yeah, we don't do that. That's kind of outside of what we do. You just got to tell us the dream and then we can interpret it. And he's like, you're just stalling for time. Tell me the dream and then tell me what it means or I swear you're going to be ripped limb from limb and I'm going to turn your houses into dung heaps. And what that means is that he was going to go in there, he was going to kill their family, he was going to blow their houses to the ground, he was going to build up a latrine, an outhouse on top of their houses. You tell me the dream, tell me what it means. Because I'm scared out of my mind. And they're like, hey, nobody can do that. And he says, really? Nobody can do that? Well, then guess what? None of y'all are going to live. Y'all are all dead. All my wise men, dead. That's bad news because at this point, Belteshazzar, Daniel, you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're wise men as well. So all of a sudden, here comes the army, and they're going to go lay waste to all the wise men. And when they show up at Daniel's house, Daniel looks at them and says, what are y'all doing? And he explained, listen, you've you got to be killed because you can't explain, you can't tell the dream. You can't explain it. He says, I, I know that I can't do it, but God in heaven can. He says, and I, I, can, I can do this. He says, I can be told this dream and I can tell King Nebuchadnezzar. And so that's what he does. Daniel is taken before the king and he stands up there. And let me, let me tell you very, very quickly what the dream is. Because in this dream, the last point, we have an unforgettable hope. An unforgettable hope. In this dream, he comes up and says, hey, you dreamed about a statue. It was a statue that had a head made out of gold, a chest and arms that were made out of silver. Its middle and its thighs were made out of bronze. Its legs were made out of iron. And its feet were made out of clay and iron mixed together. That's your dream. And you can just see Nebuchadnezzar, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can just kind of hear it like, oh, oh, yeah, that's what was going on. Here's what, here's what scared him so bad. And then there's this stone that is uncut by human hands. is all of a sudden thrown at the statue. There's got to be a big stone, uncut by human hands, thrown at the statue, rolls at the statue, and it breaks the feet which has the clay and the iron mixed together. And since clay and iron don't really mix, those feet crumble. And all of a sudden, the entire statue falls from the legs to the middle, to the chest, all the way to the head, and it crumbles and it's laid waste. And Daniel gets up there and says, this is what the interpretation means. You're living well right now. You're the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. Your kingdom looks really good right now. But the next people who come in line, they're not going to be as good. The ones after them, not going to be as good. The ones after that, not as good. Because they're man-made. Because they're made with the strength of your own hands. But there is a stone coming. There's a rock coming. And this rock is going to destroy every other kingdom because no other kingdom can stand beside it. And then that stone, at the end of the dream, is going to become a mountain that fills the earth. And it's going to become a kingdom based on this stone, on this rock. He looks at me and says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're living good right now. You've got everything you want right now. You've lived the life you want right now but there's coming a day when everything you love and you fight for is laid to waste and there's only one thing that stands and it's this hope that there is a kingdom that's going to be established that will never perish and never 
ever go away. And all of a sudden, we see here in Daniel that what Daniel is doing by interpreting the scripture is he's saying it doesn't matter what kingdom comes up. There's never going to be a kingdom like the kingdom that Jesus Christ establishes. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ himself is the stone. That he is the rock that everything is built upon. That he is the cornerstone. He is the foundation that He is the very one that will build a kingdom that will never fail. And so here, even in Daniel, in this strange story, we have a scarlet thread that points us right to Jesus. And here's the thing, guys. Why did Daniel have a faith that couldn't be moved? It was because of this unforgettable hope. Listen, these people might stand there now. They might have a, a high ground to try and make you feel ashamed today. They're not always going to have it. Because there's coming a, a day when we see a kingdom established by Jesus Christ Himself. And nothing will ever topple it. Nothing will ever crumble it. And to live for a small, momentary happiness now rather than looking towards what Christ can offer will never satisfy you. Look to Christ. Be unashamed. Let me pray. The band is going to come up. They're going to play for us and we'll be dismissed. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you and we do praise you. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be here and to open up your word. I pray that um, your truth was heard, that that your gospel was understood, that because of your son Jesus, there is a kingdom that we can trust in that's greater than all kingdoms in this world. There is a pleasure that is greater than every sin that's offered to us. And I ask that if there's any student here who doesn't know you, today you would make this the day of their salvation. And it's in your son's name, Jesus. And for his sake, we ask these things. Amen.